0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Magical Musings. This is the third one for the day. Uh, this is part three <laughs> of our vocabulary for the new bacon. And hopefully, we'll be able to actually get through the whole thing this time. <laughs>
1: We, we have gone,
0: this is, this is our number five for us on this same topic. Normally we don't talk for more than two hours on any one topic, and like Brian and I were saying to each other not too long ago, we haven't talked this long except for when we had the recording glitch on us three times and we had to record the show four different times. <laughs>
1: so, true. Is,
0: oh, so if we sound a little slap happy, we
1: are. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's what happens.
0: It does. And it's been fun because going through this, you pull out a lot of interesting stories that I hadn't thought about in years. So that's always good. Uh, Anyway, this is episode 25, I think. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But anyway, okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) 25.
0: Yes, 25. Okay. The next term that we have to define is called scrying. Um, Now, if you play paper games, you already know what this is. Um, If you don't, this is looking into something and seeing what's going on at another location. Okay, usually it's with a person. Um, Most of the time the thing you're scrying with is a crystal ball, but you can scry with water, you can scry with a black mirror, you can scry in fire, very accomplished people can even scry with air, which is really hard to do. Um, but it is looking into not necessarily reflective surface, but something that you can unfocus your eyes to and seeing another location um, with your conscious mind, not your unconscious. Okay, uh, it's a method of divination, um, and that's all I got.
1: Unfortunately, in um, if you've seen Charmed. They've misrepresented scrying as pendulum dowsing on a map. Um, very different ideas, the two of them. Um, yeah.
0: Scrying doesn't use objects unless it's something to focus on. Okay. Pendulum dowsing is wonderful and that's great. And it is a form of scrying I can see by the strict definitions of each. But pendulum dowsing is pendulum dowsing. Scrying is scrying. Um, I mean, you just, the, the strict definition that they, I think they're going on is, any scrying is gaining information without actually being there. And in Probably. that, and in that definition, what you're dealing with is the whole slew of ESP. You've got telepathy, yeah. you've got psychometry, you've got empathy, you've got, um... Uh, Remote viewing, you've got all of that all wrapped into one big bubble that most people put ESP on uh, for that collection. And they're calling it Scrying, which, so, okay. All right, um, Septagram and Septicol. Uh, Like the Pentagram and Pentacol, the Septagram is seven-pointed instead of five. Okay, there are... Uh, times when you have a septical which is just the star, and a septic or no, the septigram is just the star. The septical has the circle around it. Uh, it's another thing that's in um, ceremonial magic. Um, most commonly now, what you're seeing it in is uh, Game of Thrones on HBO, because there's seven deities. Um, True. People can start using it for that. I,
1: you
0: know, personally probably would not, but I can see some poor
1: new... Well, I've seen it used in, like, fairy Wicca, Um, just because I've... Outside of that, I'd actually never seen it before. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I didn't know it was a ceremonial magic thing.
0: Most everything tends to wind up being ceremonial magic. I mean... (laughs) In the the description we've got here, um, I'm going to read it strictly as she wrote it originally. A seven-point star symbol used in ceremonial magic representing seven tenets of balance, harmony, humility, learning, reincarnation, tolerance, and trust. I don't know the correct order. Once it represented seven angels who became seven planets, the ones that were known, called the mystic star... Other sevens include days of the week, deadly sins, mounts of the hand, pillars of wisdom, sacraments, virtues, and wonders of the world. Okay? Basically, this is a symbol that's used to represent anything that comes in sevens. And since seven is a prime number, and seven is also seen as um, various sacred numbers, especially among the Discordians, um, it's, it's used for that all the time. I once used it to represent... Uh, a battle tech group that I had uh, that had seven legions of uh, seven groups of this that and the other, and I would just go out on the battlefield and wipe people out. <laughs> but you know that's another instance of it being used as something else.
1: Okay. It's um, true. <clears throat> apparently, it means whatever you want it to mean.
0: It can. I would probably, I would still probably use it as seven days of the week. Um, the deity associations out of Game of Thrones is good uh, because you have three male, three female, and one unknown. And that works. You've got the maiden mother crone, you've got the father, the, um, direct, the maker, the smith, uh, and something else. And then you've got the stranger who nobody knows what it is that people represent as death. But, you know, and that's, that's a pretty solid association, because I can see just about everybody being those at one point or another, male or female. True. So, anyway, okay, uh, shaman. Uh, that is the correct pronunciation, shaman, not shaman, and it's shaman's plural, not shaman, uh, because it sounds too much like uh, shaman, <laughs> the singular. True. Um... This is a practitioner of various Aboriginal um, faith paths. Most notably, it is associated with uh, certain um, Native American practices uh, that could more rightfully be called medicine men or uh, several Scandinavian tribes uh, who have those that do something similar with spirits and the animus. Um, There have been some that have associated the witch, uh, witch doctors of Africa and the diasporic practices down there with the same thing. It's pretty much denoted by working with spirits of places and animals rather than um, humanistic-shaped people. Okay? <coughs> Yeah. So in that, it's it's very animistic. It's very um, uh, Shinto-like. Most notably, the it, when people talk about shamanism, they're talking about the Native American practices, and that comes down to to totems. Um, people call them totems. That's actually a misnomer. The totem is the physical representation of the spirit animal. Um, also, like a fetish. Uh, the spirit animals, however and the spirit guides are what you're talking about in shamanism. It's when you have somebody that is pretty much an intercessor between the physical world and the world of the spirits. They walk in both worlds, and they can communicate back and forth between the spirit world and the physical world, usher souls back and forth, heal people by bringing them back from the, the spirit world, various things like that. Okay?
1: Yes. And I mean, there are shamanistic elements in in lots of different world spiritual practices. So um, while they may not be called shamans or anything specific like that, um, the practices are fairly universal. Mm
0: -hmm. There was a long debate on uh, one historical site that I was on um, about our druid shamans and the parallels between the two were just incredible and lengthy there were more points of correlation than there were of disconnect and it was like wow I mean you could really make an argument for druids being western shamans it was it was incredible because they did exactly the same jobs
1: well yeah and I, I think I made a post about that on a no longer existing blog unfortunately Um, where I, I basically, someone asked me what the difference was between druids and shamans, and I actually explained similar things to that, was the fact that they do have similar elements to them, and, and that they're, you know, it's just really vocabulary. Mm -hmm.
0: It is. Let me ask you something, were you ever on a site called Ancient Sites?
1: No. Okay. Unfortunately, that sounds like something I would have been on, but no.
0: Okay, because that was the site that I was talking about. It had a very active um, community uh, for druids on there, and that's where I was seeing the debate back and forth. And had like 50 or 60 very knowledgeable, and in some cases, uh, actual real druids in this world that were on there that were talking about the historical druids and talking about the, the ways they did things. And that's where I learned that there was a difference between Wicca and Druidism because you have things like the three cauldrons in Druidism and they don't appear anywhere in Wicca.
1: Well, there's a similar concept in um, the fairy tradition, Mm -hmm. F-E-R-I, which I assume, you know, is probably because they come from similar origins. Um, I know that, there are a couple of Druid authors that actually make mention of the cauldron system. Um, but yeah.
0: Yeah, most of the genuine Druidism that you find out there is going to make mention of uh, the, 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 the cauldrons. Uh, they may make mention of the... Um, oh, crud, what is that? The, the nine elements. It's actually 27 elements.
1: How was that I'm not sure. Um,
0: uh, face the sun, the south. That's the first one. Uh oh, the duel. D H U L E.
1: I've not heard of it.
0: Okay, well, that's that was part of the the Celtic Druid tradition too. Uh, at least the Welsh, not the Welsh, the Irish. Um. So if you find a group that's talking about that, you're pretty sure that they know what they're talking about. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, okay, skyclad. This is a term that came directly from Gardnerian Wiccan. It literally means clad only in the sky, which means you're nude. Um, this comes from the understanding that nudity is not displeasing to the gods, and so we should not be ashamed or afraid of it. It's also a way to take back control of our own bodies, because at the time, in the 1950s, when Gardnerian Wicca was getting kicked off, um, nudity was seen as an extremely horrid thing, and you know you, you weren't naked even in bed with your spouse. Um, you still had clothes on.
1: Well, keeping in mind, too, that Gardner and, <coughs> and a few others... Um Ross Nichols and so on were nudists first and foremost and their spiritual practices developed with those influences. So sure. um and then of course you can argue that, you know, Gardner was probably into BDSM because of the flail element in his ceremonial tools and yeah. so on. So it's all very interesting.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of understanding yeah. that I've come to over the years. That that whole flailing thing, I can understand why it's there and why it needs to stay there. I don't think it was put there originally for the reason that it stated the paying prices for your knowledge. Um, it that sounds like an after the fact justification? Yeah, <laughs> for doing something. I think kinky. so too. Yeah.
1: That's what it seems like to me, because, I mean, Alexandrian and Gardnerian rituals being naked and being in every other conceivable way very sexually oriented without being blatantly so. um, It makes sense that there would be an element of kink involved that, you know, we can justify it if we say it's for a reason. Yeah.
0: And I mean, the, the, the symbolism there is a very good reason, because, you know, anything you learn, you don't learn for free. There's always a price. It may be a price in skull sweat, it may be a price in actual blood, it may be a price in uh, money for materials, but there's always a price. And acknowledging that in the ritual does drive that point home to the people. And then, when the um, person that's being initiated gets to flail the shit out of the high priest that just flailed them, you know, that seems a little bit more like, okay, well, now we're getting into the realms of, uh, I want to be beaten. Yes, thank you, mistress. Um.
1: It's true. And I mean, <clears throat> realistically, too, I mean, it just, the whole concept of sacrifice for knowledge, It it's probably less extreme to be flailed in a circle than it is to have your eye put out, you know, like... Yeah. Hey, Odin put his eye out, you know, or had his eye pulled out or put out just to gain knowledge, so why is it such a problem for you, kind of thing? To,
0: according to the Hávamál, he hung on Yggdrasil for nine days um, and plucked out his eye uh, as a sacrifice to himself uh, for the knowledge of the runes, yes, after he was hit by his own spear. So. He
1: sacrificed his eye to Mimir as well, which was what allowed him to see beyond... And then hung himself in a tree as a sacrifice. True.
0: And, and that's the thing that I, that I absolutely hated about the Marvel movies. Because in Thor, the very first one, they have you know him fighting two eyes. And he's fighting the, the Frost Giants. And that's great and everything. And then later on in the same sequence, they have him you know, bloody eye gouged out. And he's you know, still fighting the Frost Giants. And it's implied that he lost his eye in the war. And it's like, no, he did not lose his eye in the war. Yggdrasil. The World tree, hanging there. Come it's on, don't you remember this?
1: <clears throat> and yeah. actually, it bothers me too. But I guess when you're trying to create an ancient aliens version of Norse mythology, <laughs> I mean, I guess you don't want to get into all the fighting. You don't, the want you don't
0: want the truths to clutter it up.
1: Precisely.
0: Oh goodness. Okay. Uh, sound magic. Probably not going to run into this term, but it is something that you will need to know. It is magic used, uh, raised by sound. Um, there are chimes, there are bells, there are uh, chants, and all of those is magical energy raised by sound. So that's literally what this is. Uh, the next one is the Star of David. Now, I'm I'm hoping that everybody that's listening to this actually knows what a Star of David is. But in case you don't, it is the Jewish symbol of their faith. It is a six-pointed star, two triangles, one inverted, one um, regular, superimposed over each other. So you have a hexagram in the middle. Um, This is kind of the halfway point between the pentagram and the septagram. So... (laughs) Um, We're progressing in arms here, Uh, the the pentagram, the the hexagram, and then the septagram. So, anyhow, Um, one thing that I will say is one of the best explanations of the Jewish symbol as two triangles is in um, the uh, Da Vinci Code towards the very beginning, they're explaining about the basic symbols of all world religions. And that is the cup and the sword. And the sword goes into the cup, representing the male phallus going into the female vagina and giving fruit to the world. And if you look at the gestures that um, the main character is doing while he's explaining this, it is literally the best explanation for how the star of david came to be
1: well and in kabbalah that's actually what it represents is the union of male and female of passive and active um it's not supposedly it's not specifically a symbol of like the one god it's actually a unified symbol like it would be in tantra um, again, where it means the same thing. It's the union of the male and female together that creates the creation of whatever. So it's, it's actually a multi-religion, a multicultural thing, is, is the same symbol. Yep. And People it's, are just familiar on one term.
0: Yeah, and, you know, the, all of this relates back to, to each other, and it's always fascinating when you see the connection together especially in things like this with the mass media movies and, you know, the fluff pieces and Forrest Gump, God help us, and uh, various things like that where there is actually something of substance being presented. It's always nice to see it fold back into a symbol that's familiar <laughs> to paganism. Okay, um, next term is strega. Strega means witch in Italian. That is what uh Stregira is Stregira is uh the the best way I can can describe it it is the way of the witch of, of the witches okay uh when you talk about aradia um that is what you're talking about you're talking about Italian witchcraft and a Streg- and a strega is the Italian witch okay uh typically tends to be um Uh, female witch, Uh, also tends to be uh, granny trad, um, green witchcraft, kitchen witchcraft type thing, okay? Very practical, very down to earth. Uh, We talked about succubus, so talisman. Talisman is essentially the same thing as uh, the amulet, okay? It is... what? Object empowered with magical energy to attract a specific force or energy. Opposite of amulet. They're essentially the same thing.
1: Okay. See, <clears throat> the way I always determined the difference was that an amulet was an item in its natural state—a rabbit's foot, um, a four-leaf clover—you know, things that just were. A uh-huh. talisman, on the other hand, was a uh, and like a a crafted piece that was designed for a particular purpose. That's, that's the way it was described, you know, when I was, you know, a kid. That's so, excellent.
0: That's an excellent dis- description because, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Cool. Well done.
1: <laughs> that could be of help. <laughs> <coughs> but, yeah, I mean, that's, that's – the talisman is is the thing where you, you see it in, in te- uh, Solomonic magic and, you know, c- ceremonial – Magic in in various um, books of spells, the the very formal sigils and all that kind of crap that are supposed to be put on, you know, a tablet of gold or you know a ring of silver or whatever. Like mm-hmm. the whole thing is that those are talismans because they are specifically designed and crafted for a magical purpose. Whereas an amulet was just you know a holy stone, h o l e y, um, or four-leaf clover, you know, horseshoe, whatever. Right. Things like that were just – they just existed. So okay. you used them as they were.
0: Okay. Um, all right.
1: But, I mean, that's just
0: kind no, of that's, – No, that's perfect. That's absolutely great. I mean, yeah. Like I said, well done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Um, uh This is reading tea leaves. So – Doing magic with tea leaves would be Tesla Mancy. Tesla Mancy. Graphy is always um, reading. Mancy is always magic. So whatever's in the front is specific. So it's Mancy or Graphy. Uh, That's funny. What?
1: Well, because when I was a kid the two things that I wanted to do most were palmistry and tea leaf reading. (laughs) Because I just thought they were so archaic. And, you know, those are the kind of things you do with the the satin tablecloths and the velvet curtains and the... Cross my palm with
0: silver. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Thalmaturgic. Of or relating to divine. Theragic is... um, of or relating to the divine in a religion sense. Thaumaturgic is divine magic. Uh, theragic is uh, divine worship, essentially. Okay. Um, God give us world peace um, would be an example of theragic uh, magic, where God comes down, waves his mighty uh, wand over everybody, and we're all peaceful. Uh, Thaumaturgic is, uh, actually asking God to do it. Fair enough. I mean, it's... (coughs) Now, we were talking about the sensor earlier, and I mentioned the sensor on the chains. That's actually a thurible. That is, uh, a thurible is a sensor, but not all sensors are thuribles.
1: It's true, and there's all sorts of weird names for incense-related equipment. So, yeah, so pick one and stick with it. It's easier. <laughs>
0: uh, okay. So, uh tincture. This is another herbalism thing, so Brian, take it away. Again,
1: this is um your your little infusion of of herb and alcohol. Um basically the idea is the alcohol distills the volatile organic compounds, the oils within the herb to um, bring them to the most effective and basically strain out the solid part of the herb, the, the leftover bits and such. Um, and they're suggesting in this particular list, ethyl alcohol, which personally I don't have a lot of people, I don't read a lot of mention of because I think ethyl alcohol is probably toxic. Um, the I vinegar I could see working, but... I,
0: I think they're meaning, um, methyl alcohol, which is, like, ever clear. Methyl alcohol is toxic. Ethyl alcohol, on the other hand, is drinkable. It's vodka.
1: Oh, fair enough. Okay. Um, yeah, so, like I said, you know, in our other discussion, I think the first episode where we talked about tinctures and stuff, yes, or infusions, I think it was, um... Basically, the idea is you get a high alcohol content, so vodka or brandy, um, something like that, and then you soak the herb in it, and as I said just now, it, it basically pulls out the volatile compounds, the oils, that are the active part of the herb, and they make it usable in this distillation so
0: see and this is what always <clears throat> threw me off about herbalism and why i never really started getting into it is because you have a tincture it's you soak it in alcohol you have an infusion you soak it in water you have uh and uh, the other one you soak a it in tisane
1: water is 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 yeah. a tea yeah. and, you know, and, and so and on like, yeah there's 17 terms for the same thing
0: they're so subtly different that it's like okay make a tisane and i'm like okay so i make a tea out of it um what do i had do i make it with alcohol water milk uh what
1: (laughs) well Um, and the funny thing is there's the word for making for using like if you were to use an oil like a room temperature oil as the base that you were trying to withdraw the Herb essences into that would be an infusion as well. So it's like,
0: but if you mix the the <clears> herbs, <throat> the chopped up herbs, with uh, tallow, and let it sit on a shelf for two days, that's what?
1: That's like a, that a salve. Would,
0: uh, a, it's a,
1: it's a salve, yeah. A plaster. It's an, uh, <laughs> well, because then. You've got, like, poultice, which is um, basically, like, the mashed herb placed over a a wound and wrapped with, like, we tend to do it with gauze now, but um, with, like, linen or whatever. Um, Then you've got, like, the oils, which tend to be the basis for um, balms and and salves and soap, um, which are infusions of the herbs or, you know, direct application of the... Um, essential oils so yeah I mean herbalism's vocabulary can be very particular and and confusing one of the
0: things that that sort of set me off of not getting into herbalism because it was like okay this is even more confusing than red lions and yellow eagles
1: (laughs) that's true I mean alchemy is pretty difficult to understand if you don't give it some time but uh, yeah I mean herbalism has its confusing vocabulary too. True.
0: Okay, um transcendent, I hope you all know means um surpassing everything else. Essentially it's union with it. And not a bad it, but the is as in it is. I am. The 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 consciousness of everything.
1: The source, the all the Everything yes uh,
0: all of it all of it is yes that it, it's the it's the union with that that is transcendent because it moves past everything here on the physical plane and that's what most religions and metaphysical ways are trying to do a lot fail some succeed
1: well a lot of them try to make their deity, the transcendent element of the, the religion. And in the more experientially oriented paths, um, it tends to be more of a self effort to transcend. Yeah. I always, Are I understood. wording that
0: right? No, that you got it right. That's good.
1: It, it's so, it's hard to describe it because I can visualize what I'm talking about.
0: The problem, okay, the the basic argument when you boil it all down is spirituality is your communion with God. Religion is you telling someone else about your communion with God.
1: Yeah, that's true. Okay. It very much is.
0: So everybody <coughs> has spiritual experiences where they have a union with whatever they worship or whoever they, they pray to or whatever is greater than themselves, okay? But when you start telling other people about it, then it becomes a religion because they're never, ever, ever going to have the same experience that you just had. They can have similar ones. They can have ones that are so close they look absolutely identical, but they're not the same because their own life experiences color their experience.
1: Well, and that's the problem, I think, that we have with um, congregational religions now Mm. is that everyone is so concerned about appearing to have had a similar experience that it no longer is about that experience Mm. as much as it is about, you know, seeming like you've had it. Yeah. Like, especially in those, like, dancey Pentecostal-type churches where, you know, it's all become very much an ecstatic show as opposed to... a an individual's experience of union with their deity. Mm -hmm.
0: Trilithian. Apparently that is the two upright stones with the one across the top like in Stonehenge. (coughs) I was wrong. I hate saying that and admitting it, but I will. (laughs) I hate being wrong. Mm. All right. Uh, Triskelion. There are... Tons of symbols out there that have three coming into a central point. Okay, the um, one of the best known is a Korean symbol uh, that looks like a three-part yin yang. Okay, uh, literally, it's three big bulbs with it trailing off onto the end. Okay, um, the triskelion is three circular pathways that meet at the middle, okay? It is not orbiting around the middle. It is those three paths come together and meet at one point in the center, okay? Reminding us that all things are, when you get down to it, the same
1: thing, okay? Yes. Um, E pluribus unum.
0: Yeah, it's one of the central philosophies of Druidism. uh, It's triune thought. And that's thinking in threes rather than in twos rather than in binary. Um, but be careful because people get these mixed up all the time. The triskelion, which is druidic, which is three into one, is commonly confused with that Korean symbol of the three-piece yin yang. And worse, it's completely. Con- both of them are completely confused with the safe, sane, and consensual symbol from BDSM. Because the SSC symbol from BDSM looks exactly the same as the one from Korea, except for the fact that it's gray and black.
1: <laughs> well, then.
0: Yeah, I saw uh, some, uh, on I was on Tumblr the other night, And they had some beautiful artwork, um, 8-bit ducks that somebody had decided to animate that were all dressed in leather and studs and spikes, and they were, you know, supposedly wailing on each other. And it looked cute as hell. And then I looked at their belt buckles, and I saw the Triskelion instead of the SSC. And I went, what? (laughs) My my brain sort of seized at that point. Because I know the difference between them, and apparently these people don't. So, something to keep in mind, okay?
1: Isn't that weirdly entertaining when you know that specific difference between things?
0: Yeah, it is. It's, (coughs) you know... Anyway, (laughs) okay. Um, Now we come to stuff that we can probably skip through pretty quickly, because this will get explained as it goes along. We've got Warlock, Okay. Don't ever walk up to somebody in Wicca or in paganism in general and call them a warlock to their face. You will probably get your head handed to you in very thin little slices. Warlock is Scottish for oathbreaker.
1: It's true, but um, author Christian Day, who was in the news as having cursed someone or other, apparently. Um, Anyway, author Christian Day says, Adopt the... The label warlock and be proud of it um so it depends on your tradition personally i like the term but i grew up watching a movie called warlock and i thought that was great
0: <laughs> i don't have an objection to the term i mean if they want to use it as a term for themselves that's fine but in the context that most of the baby pagans are going to be fi- having it in it's uh, it's a term of derision It's the worst curse that can befall a member of a community Is to be warlocked What it means is that this person swore an oath Before the gods to do something or not do something And they did not fulfill that And thus they have been thrown out of the community For oath-breaking They are marked as an oath-breaker And they will not be trusted by anybody who knows about this
1: well i wonder if that isn't kind of just an extension of you know the old honor cultures because i think one of the things that's lacking today that i think a lot of people who join the sca or you know various martial arts or whatever um are trying to reclaim is that sense of honor you know mm-hmm. that sense of um a man's word is his bond kind of thing yeah um whereas you know being an oath breaker, um, in the, in the sense days. that I, well, yeah, I mean, these days most people are just like. Whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's, oh, yeah, I just made that in, in spur of the moment. I didn't mean it, mm. kind of thing. So There's they no don't no take that seriously. To it.
0: There's no consequences, <clears> either physical, spiritually, or on a personal level. I mean, with the Celt, you've got to understand that the, the Druidic thought that has been ingrained into both Brian and I is uh, Celtic thought. And Celtic thought starts with the basic fact that every person, every person, has a self-worth. And if you insult that self-worth, you have to pay repercussions. Well, when you have somebody that deliberately lies or swears an oath, and does not follow through, you now have somebody that has insulted their own self-worth, and cannot be trusted by any of the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. So, this was a major deal. That's why, uh, becoming nothing, knee was huge. Banishment from the tribe meant that you were out on your own, you had to, to hunt for yourself, you had to shelter yourself, you had to Defend for yourself, you had to defend yourself from enemies, and you were so low on the totem pole that if somebody came along and killed you, everybody would go, okay, and?
1: Well, that's exactly it. I mean, you you get like the whole concept of uh, Roman citizenship, where being a citizen was something you had to earn. You weren't simply born a citizen unless you were born into the right class, but you could basically earn your way into citizenship. Um... If you were outcast, if you were, you know, if you had done some heinous, grievous thing and you were exiled, basically you were cast into the barbaric region. You were nothing better than a barbarian. You were lower than dirt. You were the most pathetic thing that ever existed in in the entire empire. So you were not even worthy of consideration for life. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was not a crime to kill somebody that had been exiled. It was not a crime to kill somebody that had been warlocked. It was – it wasn't encouraged, but if you rode down somebody that was uh, banished and killed them, everybody pretty much go, well done. You know, and you might get rewards for it. Well, I think – There's the stain of honor on the family that this person came from that has now been removed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think that's the big thing too. Like that I think is the main draw of, you know, martial arts, of you know, the SCA, of um a lot of pagan traditions. Um Auschwitz is really big on it. Um but basically the idea of maintaining honor as, as the most important thing, you know, like holding to your word because you've given it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you look at mainstream culture and it, it's like my word is, you know, just my word for the moment. And if yeah. I change my mind in a bit, then so be it. But
0: Verbal contracts aren't worth the paper they're written on. Pretty much. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the whole thing that 's one reason and these concepts of self worth and your word is your bond and personal honor and uh, recognizing that in other people and you know holding people to a higher standard that 's what paganism really in general has been built around so to be warlocked is a huge deal in the pagan community i mean i I remember when I was on uh, pagan boards. That if somebody got warlocked out of their local community, they announced it on every pagan board they could get to, and the people that uh, had access to boards that they couldn't get to would spread it to those other boards.
1: Huh. And
0: this was this was a deal. I mean, you know, there at one time
1: there were and so labor intensive. My God, in those days of bulletin boards, Jesus.
0: Well, no, this was this was, you know, back with Yahoo groups when they were still a Oh, OK,
1: thing. OK, OK.
0: <laughs> and I was you like
1: know. dialing up individual bulletin board systems just to do that to someone. Jesus,
0: I, I would not be surprised if that was done.
1: I'm sure it might have been done on like once in a while, yeah. but I couldn't see it being, you know, Conceivable because of the time it took to dial into all these numbers and, you know, the long-distance charges and stuff.
0: <laughs> anyway, okay, so that's that. Uh, next we come to the watchtowers. <coughs> You're going to hear the watchtowers bandied about a lot. Um, this is the concept that there are entities that guard the four cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. Each are related to a specific element, air, earth, fire, water. Um, and they control those. Now, depending upon your tradition, depending upon who you talk to, depending upon the time of day, this fluctuates as to who these people actually are and what they're actually in charge of. One day it's dragons, another day it's angels, another day it's people, another day it's great magi from uh, England, uh, another day it's uh, kami, and, you know, it's just all over the place.
1: It it depends on who's doing it. I mean, animals... All kinds of different things yeah. um, In the Goetic tradition It's the four archangels yeah. Raphael, Michael, Gabriel, and Uriel So, yeah.
0: And you know Any public ceremony um, There's Several traditions don't use them At all uh, And the theory that they, For why they don't use the Guardians of the Watchtowers Is because the god and goddess are there What better protection do you need? And the counter argument to that is you have invited two celestial beings into your working circle. Why wouldn't you invite the watchtowers to guard them? You know, and so it's like one of those. Well, there's points on both sides.
1: (coughs) It's like, do you invite the bee feeders when the queen comes around or you just don't worry about it?
0: Because she's the most powerful thing. And of course, nobody would hurt them. (laughs)
1: <laughs> she's kinda... she's still alive now i I can't see anyone hurting her for a while yet
0: you know I can see I can see it on both sides. I don't have a problem calling them when the rituals that I'm participating in uh have them being called okay um I don't personally call them all the time in my personal rituals and the rituals that we do with our family because the deities are there. And besides, if you call another entity to defend the entities you've already called, what kind of hospitality are you showing? You called the gods to be there. You should be the one defending them. You know, but that's me. I've also participated in group rituals of 200 with Raymond Buckland in attendance and been, and called the guardian of air in the east. Um, you know, and... It's you know it 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 depends it depends
1: anyway <laughs> yeah, it's really i don't know, I guess it depends on the the particular tradition or a particular individual's practice um there they, are you know there are Wiccans who will say you're not really practicing Wicca if you don't call the guardians, and so on, and quite frankly,
0: I'll look at them and say, I'm, well, you're not really Wiccan if you're not naked. <clears throat>
1: And if your pentacle's not made of wax, god damn, you're wrong. <laughs> um, That's the ultimate I mean, it comes down to cherry-picking rules, right? Yeah, it's I know. like, who cares? Do what yeah. you're going to do. I'm not going to fight it. Make Ty- your friggin' pentacle out of ice if you want. I don't care.
0: Typically, my rule of thumb is uh, celebratory rituals, I won't call them, um, things where I'm doing massive magics, uh, either for the uh, Astral Plane or for myself or for protection, then, yeah, I'll call them up and ask them to give their strength. Um, but if I'm just celebrating the, the deities being there, uh, thanking them for everything that I have, no. Nah. It's like pulling out the howitzer to kill a fly with.
1: Well, yeah, that does make sense, because, I mean, celebratory rituals don't need to be really heavy on the defensive. I mean, mm. unless you're obviously part of a tradition where they call for that, but it, it's, it does seem overkill to be. Yeah.
0: Anyway, okay, um, now there's a, a term that some people are going to be lost with, and it's called Wiccaning. Um, honestly, Wiccaning is the term for a pagan, or specifically a Wiccan baptism. <laughs> it's Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the ceremony, the ceremony where the high, uh, the priest and priestess bless the child for being born, welcome them into the coven as a jesseth, somebody who's studying, not a cowan who knows nothing, uh, but a jesseth. And uh, the parents, you know, raise them in the tradition.
1: See, I would have thought that would make more sense as, as like the Confirmation Age type thing
0: it is there's i've actually got a book called uh pagan rites of passage there's a number of things for that there's one for first menses there's one for uh your first wet dream there's one for you know hitting 18 uh getting able to drive you know all these different passage rites
1: <laughs> well and that's the interesting thing right like there's a lot of debate about timing on on boys versus girls rites of passage right because you know the general idea is that you you have it at thirteen or fourteen just because that's that makes sense, but there are other books that I've looked at that talk about you know the first a boy's first wet dream as his you know as the time for his rite of passage, and then you know most books that I've ever read talk about the girl having hers at the time of her first bleeding, right which is I mean, it makes sense. It's like nature's already telling you this is the case. So right. why makes would sense you fight it? since
0: it's a it? nature religion, you know, why wouldn't you celebrate that?
1: So I mean, but yeah, it was actually because of I want to say Brothers of the Sun. Maybe it's a male mysteries book, um, but it it talks about how you know the high priest should sit down with the the boy who's going to be having his rite of passage and you know if he's been chosen as a mentor and you know the family tells him that the kids had his first wet dream then you know it's time for the talk kind of thing and it's like i'd never heard that before because most books talk about you know we don't want to be you know talking to kids about paganism and sex and things when they're you know minors and it's like what better way to incorporate that into your daily life than to like address real-life issues?
0: I know, and that's one thing that uh, <clears throat> Ashleen Ogaya uh, wrote about in her book uh, Pagan Parenting is that you always have, as you're growing up, your parents tell you when you're older. you got to set for some of these rites of passage the, okay, you're older now, and now you can do this.
1: You know, yeah, for sure.
0: And you, you, you just gotta set those. And yes, talk to them about okay, you're you're bleeding, that means you're f- fertile. You could potentially have a baby. Here's how you go about getting pregnant and everything like that. But don't do it. Here's a condom. Here's you know this. Here's that. Here's the other. You know, and the guy's okay. Here's you know you had your first wet dream. You're fertile. You could get a girl pregnant. Don't rape her. Uh, here's a condom. Here's you know this, that, and the other.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, there's things that make sense for each gender, you know, at specific times. And that was the first time I'd ever heard, you know, the first wet dream as being the time, the indication. Um, Because, I don't know, it it does make sense. I mean, because a boy, you know, saying that it's time when a, a boy first discovers he can jerk off is, I mean, that's just crazy because... Most boys who discover they have a penis probably started touching it early on in life. Probably. So, I mean, I you know, the be. wet dream thing was, a, was an interesting sort of mark to decide that by. <clears throat> yeah,
0: it does. I, I do think that maybe in some cases um, things should be set so that they're of the same age. I mean, a girl may have her first menses at 10 and physically be ready to have a child. She's nowhere near mentally ready and shouldn't even True. think about it until 14. And that's right around the time the guys are hitting that same period of hypersexuality. And so just setting it at that point. And especially with all the, the, the hormones and everything that's in our food and our drink and all that, you know, girls are having their first periods earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. You know. So anyway, on to something else. Um. Okay, we talked about Wittershins uh, wart. W-o-r-t, not wart. W-a-r-t, which is a, a bump on the skin that's caused by a virus. This is wart, as in mugwort. It's an old meaning. It's an old word for uh, herb. Uh, it is also the non-fermented liquid used to make beer. Huh. When, yeah, uh the wart is when you have all the barley uh pulled out, the yeast is in there, the sugars are in there, the water is in there, and you seal it up. That is the wart. When it ferments it's beer. Okay. Hmm. Um I found that out because a friend of mine's a brewer and it's and I found it in the book. The book Re- Reader's Digest.
1: Oh yes. Yes. <laughs>
0: That book ta- is so
1: cool.
0: Yes. they um, Back to basics. We talked about it in an earlier episode. Um, they talk about making your own beer and your own wine and your own strong Brooms spirits, and, you know, and all like, kinds of crazy wow, shit. This is cool. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyhow. Uh, let's see. That's it for the terms. Uh, unless y'all really um, want to know more astrology terms.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Um, and actually it occurs to me that, uh, wort is also the first word or first part of the word wort cunning, um, which is a tradwitch term for herb knowledge kind of thing, um, tends to be focused more on the magical uses of herbs. Um, you know, it combines the magical and, and healing use of them. Um, but herbalists aren't all wort cunners. And, you know, not all of them see the need for the word work hunting because they don't all practice magical uses. Um, If you get into, like, Nicholas Culpepper, his is one of the more common books. It can be very confusing, though, if you're not familiar with, like, the old seven-planet system and if you don't understand some of the alchemical references he makes Um, but yeah his book and the books by Hildegard of Bingen um, tend to dabble more into the what you would tend to refer to as wart cunning because they combine spiritual elements and magical elements into the healing practice Um, but most herbalists don't do that <clears throat>
0: Is that the, the same one where you have to snatch the herb off of the bush by sticking your right arm through your left sleeve? And <laughs> all, I all would imagine moves?
1: that would be probably folk tradition uh, that probably would relate to traditional witchcraft because... Um, I mean, it, it's the same tradition that brought us the use the dog to pull the mandrake roots so you don't get killed by its scream kind of thing. So,
0: Cut the mistletoe off the tree with a sickle of gold and catch it in a bowl of ivory before it touches the ground.
1: <laughs> you know, the weird thing is that um, gold wouldn't hold an edge to cut.
0: I know. So. But the thing is, is that gold is non-reactive. And that was the point. They didn't know about aluminum, which is non-reactive. They didn't know about five or six other metals, which is, which are also non-reactive. Gold is the best option they had for doing that.
1: <laughs> well, and I think part of it is, too, that the whole concept of the gold is that it's the element of the sun. And, you know, it, it makes it more holy if you are using sun metal to harvest holy herb from the tree.
0: That could be part of it. Um, personally, I think it's more along the lines of, have you ever taken a steel knife and used to cut lettuce? The lettuce goes brown almost instantly. It's because the, the steel is a reactive metal. When you get huh. a non-reactive metal, it doesn't transmit those electrons and chemicals from the metal to the plant, making it wilt.
1: I've never noticed. Really? I tend to buy bagged salads. I have no idea. Okay, fine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> See? But that's, yeah. Saves
1: me the trouble. <laughs> hey,
0: works for you. <laughs> okay.
1: um,
0: we th- They've got a whole list here of various chat uh, text shorts, like ROFL, R-O-F-L. Everybody knows it's rolling on the floor laughing.
1: I um, hope they know. I
0: hope. Um, So we're not going to go through those because this is another document that came off of Prodigy and AOL and is old. So uh, a lot of this is not like needed anymore. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about beasties. Now, Den Elder, came, who I got this from, came up with a list of various spirits um, and fae folk who could get into your house and do things and mess with you. So she made this list, it's not comprehensive, it's not even long, uh, but of common things that you will probably wind up seeing and working with at some point in your practice, and they'll be attracted to you because you've been doing the magic. Um. As we said much earlier, a beastie is just a non-physical thing that has a soul, has a spirit, maybe a couple of steps above an animal, uh, but is significantly dumber than humans. <laughs> and it just infects your house. It runs around, bothers people, drives your cat crazy, jumps on the dog, um, you know, hangs its tail through the ceiling so that you know something is. So that your dog is jumping after it all the time, you know, and there's nothing there that you can see. Um, Can you tell that I've had to deal with this stuff before?
1: It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I had a
0: dragon that decided it was the height of hilarity to go up to the second story, lay down in the bedroom, and phase her tail enough so that it fell down into the living room and hung like two feet off the floor where the dog couldn't get at it, but the dog could see it. And so he, she was jumping and barking and nipping at this, and she would twitch her tail so that the dog would see it and go cra- even crazier. <laughs> just, this would go on for hours. <laughs> Finally had to have a serious talking to that dragon, and was, you need to stop this right now before you give her a heart attack.
1: Agreed. Bitch. It's true. Dogs do have that weird habit.
0: Oh, okay. Um, A hob. An imp or a minor nature spirit. uh, Loves water wells, keeping the water purified. uh, Loves the cream. Hates cats because cats would steal their cream. Um, Basically, if I'm remembering correctly, and this is digging into my fey folk knowledge, which is not comprehensive or all-encompassing or anything of the sort, um one of the, the hobbs basically are responsible for helping you out in the kitchen. um they do keep the water pure. they ask for milk to be- se- or or cream cream by preference to be set out for them for a little while uh and it's a sacrifice to them cream and bread uh every night, and uh the kitchens would you know just always bake bread that never gets burnt. Uh, they, you know, your, your stews come out perfect, you know, the, the bread rises just to the perfect point, and then you put it in the oven, you know. And I your soufflés like never fall. Yeah, and they're, you know, they're, they're kitchen helpers, and they're very, very good at their job, but they do ask for that milk, and they do ask for that bread, you know, so that's what a hob is. Now, a Tomten. Is a Scandinavian farm elf. I've never heard of these things. Um...
1: These they're tiny... actually the, um... The... Scandinavian... Christmas gift givers as well.
0: Oh, this is the one that goes around with Kris Kringle? Rather than the, um... The... Yeah, this, that this, the, They're
1: actually the... The Tomten are the Scandinavian, particularly Swedish, um gift-giving spirits oh, who cool. weren't St. Nick because he replaced them. But, yeah, they were basically the the ones that you wanted to get on the good side of if you were going to get a gift that year. Hmm. Interesting.
0: Okay, cool. Um, Says his nightly rounds of the farm bring fertility, success, prosperity, and good luck, which is always good. Now, this is an odd goodie. Googie. <laughs> uh, a nursery bogey. Uh, one used, it's, it's basically the boogeyman. Uh, <laughs> protector. Sounds
1: like, doesn't,
0: yeah, it's not one I've ever heard fruit of. most often found in woods and orchards. Okay, so, I don't know, I, like I said, this is a new one on me. Now, a buck one, uh, a less friendly type of brownie one of the few types that will not leave when they see human residents of his home. They mostly stay around just to play tricks, but can be very helpful when the proper mood strikes them. Um, Callum or Macintosh had a love-hate relationship with his uh, Bakwan. The love side must have been stronger because when Callum moved to the States, his Bakwan came with him and cleared his plot of land for them. Okay. So apparently this is uh, uh, a brownie with social anxiety. <laughs> I
1: guess.
0: <laughs> it, doesn't, it sounds like they just have a bad attitude. They're sour most of the time. I mean, brownies are you know, house spirits, and they do um, help you out around the house. Where uh, a hob helps you in the kitchen, the brownie helps you in general keep the, the, the farm running and you know, everything going right. Um A Baquin apparently does it reluctantly because he just he's whatever just get the hell out of my house uh, he's he's a crevy old grandpa Faye.
1: and that's perfectly all right,
0: and that's fine uh a buggert is um another one of the scary ones it's pretty much a poltergeist uh that is just it's a spirit hanging around. That uh, causes problems in the house. Let's see. Uh, doesn't say how to protect from them or get rid of them once they're there. Whoops. Okay. Uh, Chloricon. Uh, this is the cousin to the leprechaun. The leprechauns are the sour door uh, shoemakers who guard pots of gold. Well, the chloricons are the happy drunkard. Uh, leprechauns that guard pots of gold. (laughs) They will drink all of your spirits and will be very friendly about it, but you will never get an alcoholic drink anywhere near them. You will have to go to other places to get them, and they may come with you. And they're kind of a pain in the ass.
1: Really. Apparently they're very possessive about alcohol.
0: Yes, they are. They, they love alcohol. Uh, if you want a good... There's uh, Callahan's Cross Time Saloon. There's uh, a whole series of books by Spider Robinson. In um, one of them, and I don't remember which one, uh, the bar that everybody is coming to all the time, and that the main character, Jake Stonebender, lives at, literally... Uh, gets infested with a clericon
1: hmm.
0: and <laughs> it sort of seizes up all the gears <laughs> it's kind of funny um, I don't remember which one but I can't recommend that series higher it is wonderful and filled with a lot of introspection and a lot of Sherlock-like uh, detection and just good plain common sense so yeah go go watch go read that at some point Uh, Fairies is a catch-all term for spirits of the British and Irish Isles. Okay. Um, Of course. The the Tolwith-Teg and uh, the Banshee and the descendants of Danu and Anu and all of those, including the gods of... The Welsh and the Irish and the the Scots, the Picts, all of those are rolled up into the fairy, okay? You can find them, uh, those individuals in the stories, when you actually go looking for it. I mean, like I said, I haven't done a whole lot of extensive study of this, um, but just the curiosity reading that I've come across, yeah, they're out there and they're um, one of the big ones.
1: Uh, Um, There's actually a pretty interesting documentary on um, YouTube that came out of Canadian TV called The Fairy Faith that talks about the fairy traditions in eastern Canada, in um, Scandinavia or Iceland or something, and in the UK. Huh. Okay. I'll
0: have to look that up and and watch it. Because, like I said, I haven't... Um, a Gruga can appear as a fairy, uh, as a fair lady dressed in green, a slender male dressed in red or green, or a small, naked, hairy, imp-like creature. They will do brownie-type labor or guard cattle if you offer them milk. So, they're another type of brownie, just a different form. Some of the things that aren't, what?
1: I just think it's funny. There's like... Berries and they're just mentioned in passing, kind of thing. And they're they're generally in every other sense. They're it's the blanket term for everything. Pretty Whereas much. here it's like, yeah, this is another type of brownie, just yeah. another brownie. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: there are a couple that I I, I know of that aren't in here. Uh, one is the puka, p o k h, and do not let the movie. Um, with Jimmy Stewart put you off? This is not a furry creature. This is a hairy creature. Um, pukas in the fairy understanding are essentially goats without horns, as far as I can tell. Okay, um, they are hairy. They will—they're—they're they're supposed to drive you insane. Is what they—what their job is. So they will play tricks on you and mess with your head and if you go and confront them they will offer you a ride uh, so that they will stop but if you decide to do this uh, your your brain's probably going to be imploded because it's not just a ride it's a wild ride and they just go batshit. <laughs> um, so they're not fun. There's a reason for for them, they're they're trickster uh, fae. Uh, unlike a lot of the fae, a lot of the fae will help you if you approach them correctly. Pukas specifically are supposed to mess with your mind and screw up your perceptions of yourself and reality around you. So you know, it's not it's not something to be scared of. It's just something to be watchful of. Um. there's another type that I know that's called a fear derrick. F-I-R-D-A-R-I-G. Fear derrick. I have no earthly idea what they do. Uh,
1: <laughs> no idea.
0: I'm, I'm not I, I well versed on that stuff. I know they have something to do with um, luck and excessive amounts of luck. Um, they're just... I, you know if you want to go looking for it now's the time that uh, we could really use a tangent
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes um i'm out of stuff um we're out of our well, list We've still how got long an hour do we have go. left jesus um let's see <laughs> okay a uh, tangent um <laughs>
0: No, it's, okay, um, The fair, it, studying the fae, studying the fairies, that's a really specialized thing that if you get into it, it's great, um, a lot of people tend not to, um, simply because it's trying to like quantify the angels, I mean, when you have 58 different types of the same thing, you know, what does it matter at that point? Okay, this one has a brown hat, and that one has a red hat, and this one has a green hat. How are they different? Well, that one has a brown hat, and this one has a red hat, and that one has a green hat. That's how they're different.
1: But they're and the those same two with red hats, one has ear flaps, the other doesn't. So.
0: Yeah, and you know this o- this one over here that doesn't have the ear flaps. If he dips it in blood, you got to watch out for him. But it's the one with the ear flaps, you know, and it's like after you know so much looking. What the hell does it matter at that point?
1: It's, yeah, it can be very complex. Um, and a lot of it, I think most people have have kind of lost the sense of need for, you know, concern for the fairies. Because I think most people don't live in rural sort of places anymore. So they, they're quite distant from that experience anymore. Yeah. Um because that's, that's generally what the documentary I was referring to on YouTube is talking about is the fact that the people who still adhere to the ideas of concern for the, the fairy mounds and that sort of thing are living in these rural areas where it's been long-held tradition that you know this one tree that's been growing for decades in the middle of nowhere as a solitary tree um, – it's a fairy tree, and if you, you know, build a highway and you try to take down that tree, the whole rural area is going to fight you on that and so on. So, yeah.
0: I mean um, a lot of it is – yeah, it's old – it's an old-faith spirituality. I mean it's – when you're living in connection with the land and you're depending upon the land for your sustenance, you get concerned about things that are affecting the land around you. And if leaving out uh, a glass of milk every night uh, means that some passing spirit will bless you with a good crop, then you leave out the glass of milk, even if the local farm cat comes by and drinks it. You know?
1: Exactly. Because you don't know if that cat wasn't the spirit in form.
0: True. You know, but when you get into an urban environment, hell, most people don't even know where the hell their food comes from.
1: That's a very big thing, right? When Um, I
0: I saw a comment on Tumblr at one point, uh, it was one of the the vegans that commented, uh, why the hell are you going out and killing cattle for your meat? Just go to the grocery store and buy it like everyone else. I fell on the floor in shock because how can this person be so stupid and not realize – That you kill the cow to get the meat, because they're made of tasty meat, to put in the package, to put into the store, so that you can buy it.
1: Exactly. (laughs) They're made of tasty meat.
0: They are. (laughs) I mean, if if they weren't intended to be eaten, they would not be made of tasty meat.
1: (laughs) That's right. They wouldn't be delicious if they weren't meant to be eaten.
0: That's right. Anyway, <laughs> no, it's <laughs> just one of those severe disconnects of what in the hell are they teaching you wherever you're at? Well, I no think matter
1: that's what the big they're problem. teaching you,
0: go back to school. You didn't learn enough.
1: <laughs> well, I wonder if schools, like home ec classes or whatever the equivalent is in various places, um, wouldn't benefit from like tours of slaughterhouses and that kind of thing. Oh, God. Because I think. I mean, it would disturb the shit out of people, and there would be people traumatized forever into veganism or what have you. But I think the reality is that if people really want to know what their food is, they need to be given the experience of seeing it processed from hoof to plate.
0: Yeah. And you know one of the most interesting things, and I've never really noticed a corollary before? There are very, very few farm vegans.
1: Well, obviously. I
0: know of very few people that live on a working farm with chickens and cattle and pigs and ducks and crops that are vegetarians.
1: Because they have flavor. they burn all those calories taking care of the tasty meat things that are walking <laughs> around their farms. They don't have any sort of lightweight vegan aspirations. They couldn't get enough calories if they did it. You
0: know, Mary... Uh, Lived on a in a in a rural area for a long, long time, and they went to get a pig, um, and Mary got to pick it out. And as a child, she thought, you know, well, we'll just tie a ribbon around the pig's neck and take it home with the ribbon, and of course, it will follow us you know and then the pig is squealing and yelling and screaming cuz they're trying to force it into the truck and it doesn't want to go and it was traumatizing to her and then you know to see it slaughtered and suddenly it's the bacon that you're eating the next day
1: yes <laughs> i can see that being a bit traumatic for a child
0: oh, i know i know that
1: farmers shrill horrible pig scream is just off
0: i know one of the worst things that most farmers have to do is to keep their children from naming the farm animals because then when they name them, they have a personality when they have a personality, how can you kill Bessie?
1: Well, exactly. And that's the big thing. A lot of people like, I actually lived for a year in a a mountain town where my neighbor was actually a guy who raised cows and, and butchered them on his property and his granddaughter became fascinated by me because i was pagan and i was you know exotic by this tiny town (laughs) standards so she would stop by like every week and we'd hang out at at like a little fire in the yard and she would after about a month she started bringing me fucking steaks from her grandfather's freezer i was was like um i'm okay with this except that i kind of feel like i should be helping him butcher something and i just didn't want to go do that because the idea of doing it just fucking freaked me out so i was like yeah let's not do that anymore
0: now i can get behind a couple of the vegans arguments especially the militant vegans yes there is a lot of abuse in the system the factory farms the factory farms are do need to be regulated a lot closer but even with that said, there's a lot of times when they're just wrong about what's going on. Um, I saw a, another post talking about the horrible conditions pigs have to live in um, so that you know, they are all soft and lean and everything uh, for your sausage. And what they showed was a picture of a pen that had a sow laying on her side, uh with a cage over top of her and six piglets sucking on her teats. And these were sitting, you know, these pens were sitting right next to each other. Uh couldn't have been more than a than a two by two area total for the pen, uh, and that sow and all the piglets. And the 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 sow was forced to stay on her side. And it looks horrendous. I mean, just no that out of context and seeing the mom not able to stand and walk around or able to do anything or even to roll over.
1: Yeah, you know, imagine there would be like sores forming on the side that was on the ground. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and then I read down the comments, you know, and that's, that's a horrifying picture. And I agree, that's, that sort of abuse shouldn't happen. But then I read down the comments and I got to a post by an actual farmer on it that said, this is standard practice throughout the farms everywhere sows, when they give birth will roll over on their piglets and kill them they will ignore them they will not feed them they will kick them to death if you want a next generation of of pigs you have to do this so the sow doesn't kill them and I went okay well that doesn't seem so horrible now Yeah, that's pretty interesting. You know, especially if it's for a, a temporary time. You know, if it were all the time, then I'd be up in arms. But if it's, you know, only for a specific amount of time until the piglets grow up and are weaned, and they come in and they turn the pigs over, they pull all the piglets out of the pen, somebody contains them in another one, they lift the cage up, the mother gets to walk around some, Gets to go get food, gets to go get water, Gets comes back in. They put her back in there. They lay her on her other side and put the cage back down, then put the piglets back in. You know, that's yeah. fair. That's reasonable at that
1: point. Well, exactly. And I mean, ultimately, a lot of the problem with vegan propaganda is that it is taken out of context by people who don't know what's going on. Yeah. Um You know, it's very sensationalistic, which is what bothered me a lot Um, during the period where I was considering becoming vegan myself. um, I tend to go through sort of a cycle through the year where in the spring and summer, I tend to want more vegetables and fruit, um, where in the fall, I'm more into comfort food. And then the winter, I tend to be more fleshy eating type. Mm -hmm. And so... I mean, I can see, like, through spring and summer, when I'm craving the vegetables and fruit and stuff, then, you know, vegan propaganda seems a little sensationalistic. But, you know, it kind of gets me thinking that maybe it's a good idea. But at the same time, it's really a matter of taking the time to learn what's actually going on. Because, I mean, if you're reacting based on, here's this urban person who knows nothing of where their food comes from, um reacting to what might be an ex, you know an exceptional case of how animals are treated um as opposed to the main like the normal way that they're treated um it's it's easy to be misled
0: mm-hmm. um and you know I'm not saying that there's not abuse in the system because there is there, there really not, is I mean, there were... there's some
1: sick stuff
0: There were films that came out of a secret videotaping at one of the factory farms for the chicken for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And it had pictures of the workers going into these... The only way I can describe them is a warehouse. It's like two, three football fields long, and about two football fields wide. And it's filled with chickens. I mean, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a chicken and there were the the film supposedly showed these guys stomping on chickens and kicking them and getting them out of the way i can see that being as abuse but on the other hand i can also see those chickens have been raised around humans they are not scared of humans chickens will attack humans at very little provocation and unless you go in and do a very Um, harmful surgery to cut the spurs off of the chicken, Uh, and there are these little spikes that grow out of the back of the legs of chickens that they stab into people when they're mad, and it hurts them, you know, unless you go in and cut that off, they can freaking do some damage. So, you know, I can also see the possibility that when this worker was being filmed that he was being attacked by some of these chickens. And the only way to get them off of you, you know, with your two hands full is to kick them, to stomp them. Well,
1: and I think too, that part of it is because of the idea that, um, it, it really is taken out of context. I mean, people who don't understand the animals that they're protecting, um, and the behaviors of them can be, misled by footage um one of the scenes that comes to mind quite frequently is as tending to be overused is footage of you know what basically amount to third world farmers hanging a cow by like one hoof and and basically like the thing f- flailing and screaming and and trying to get down and shit but like, I don't imagine that's a very common thing.
0: Actually, um, um, from my experiences, what happens is, is that instead of hanging it by one foot, what they do is they bring it into uh, a lockbox where it's very tightly contained. It can't move left or right, can't move forward or back, and its head is in a certain place. They then use a sledgehammer to hit it right on the forehead, But that's also the thickest part of the cattle's skull. So instead of killing it, it stuns it. They then hook chains up to both back legs and lift the cow up, slit its throat, let it bleed out. And there's times, very few, and the the slaughterers are just as distressed when this happens as the animal is. There are times when it comes out of that stun before they can actually slice the throat open. And it will react like that. I mean, it's just been hurt. It's now hanging upside down by its ankles. You know? That's Hmm. not what's supposed to happen. And it will flail around, and sometimes one leg will get loose, and then that's even worse.
1: No doubt. Um, and then there's the other, like, the footage of, of the way that they kill kosher beef is really disgusting to me. Um, Because basically what they do is they they have a cow in what essentially is a lockbox. They tilt its head up and then they take basically a machete and they chop its throat. And then they let it bleed out while it's standing there. Um, And what they've done too is that they've cut out its vocal cords so it can't scream. Like they hack at the vocal cords so it won't make a sound as it's bleeding out. And it's like... It's so ugh, unsettling. Like, it's it's basically guaranteed I'm never going to drink, er, eat kosher beef in my life. Yeah. But
0: you know, there's there's a lot that, like I said, and you've said, there's you know a lot of potential abuse in the system. I think a lot of it is taken out of context, and I think a lot of it is uh, spliced in such a way that it looks worse than it is. Now, that's not saying that the uh, calf. Who has stood in the same place for all 180 days of its life uh, and is then slaughtered for veal is not abused. I'm quite certain that not being allowed to walk around is abuse. You know, mm-hmm. same thing with the chickens that are put in one by one by one cages and made to lay five eggs a day. You know, same thing. And they don't get up and they don't move around and you know.
1: They can't peck or scratch and eat grass and do whatever chickens normally do. They just sit in their box and lay.
0: You know, and so you know that stuff. You know, yeah, I don't want that happening either. But you can't. Any any intelligent look at simply how our bodies are put together will show you that we're omnivores,
1: not. that's not- one of the things that always bugged me about vegan propaganda, too, was the fact that they compare us to carnivores. When they, you know, human teeth are like this. These are, you know, lion teeth. And these are dog teeth. Do Are humans can't carnivores? And it's like, yep. where's the comparison to fucking, like, omnivores? Why are we not, like, being compared to bears and, and raccoons and who don't have, like, massive canines compared to the rest of their teeth. And, you know, what about pigs? I mean, Jesus, all these other animals that are omnivores, you know, why are we not being compared to them? But then it it makes the whole argument really awkward because suddenly humans don't look quite so carnivorous.
0: And then there's always the arguments of, okay, you're down on leather, you're down on meat, you're down on eggs, that, you're down on milk, and I understand why. How about being down on bees? You're not against honey, are you? Are you against beeswax? How about royal jelly? You know, And you start asking a question like that, and most of them will go, well, of course. I mean, it's an animal product, and it's like, well, it's an insect product, actually. Well, you know, it's still abusing them. No, because you know they gotta have. They overproduce honey. If they produce too much honey, the colony starts dying. So you have to take some of it. Well, the the, the, the you're taking the wax, and they don't have it for. No, you're only taking some of the wax. You're leaving most of it where all of the brood hive is at. And the queen and everything else. Well, um, uh, uh, there's there's no human reason that we could possibly use honey. No, that's not true either because if you get locally produced honey, your allergies for the local area are not going to be nearly as bad. That's been proven over and over. And bee stings cure arthritis,
1: oddly enough.
0: <laughs> you start mm-hmm. throwing all this stuff out and they're like, oh, oh, oh.
1: Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is that Bees and humans have had a relationship for millions of years, right? Like, the, the, our ancestors lived with bees in the wild. They, they, they worked hard to steal honey because it was a source of calories and sugar mm. that humans need. Um, and sure, they got stung like a motherfucker, but... Of course, Eventually, they developed systems recognizing that bees calm down when they're around smoke. You know, they gorge themselves on honey so that they can, I don't know, stew in their own juices. I have no idea why they do that. No, but... the,
0: idea, the idea with it is that uh, they think the hive is on fire and that they're going to have to migrate and swarm. So they eat, all the, they eat as much honey as they can, possibly can in preparation for the swarming. They just have to get the queen out. Hmm. And when the queen doesn't leave, they go, oh, okay, well, I'm not hungry for a week now.
1: (laughs) It's true. But, yeah, I mean, bees are a really amazingly self-regulating species.
0: I know. And it sounds, you know, once again, all you vegans, vegetarians, uh, vexians, whatever you call yourself or how you do it, no cheese, no milk, no dairy, no eggs, no whatever. I'm not down on the whole concept of it. Okay, I don't think Brian is either. It's that these are a lot of persistent problems that we've seen when vegans come to us and start talking to us about these subjects. Mm-hmm. Now, another big one is, okay, everybody stops eating beef. Now you have 100 million cattle running free. What do you do with them? Where do you send them? What resources do you give them? Do you let them starve like they were in uh, Calcutta? I mean, I don't think they... I I don't think some realize that the sacred holy animal of the cattle in India is dying and starving. They're skin and bones, literally.
1: They are actually pretty gross looking. I mean, the thing that... That Hindus see cattle, like well cows specifically, as holy for, is because they're mothers. They they're symbolic, they're representative of the great mother. Um, I want to say Durga for some reason. Um, and the fact that they use milk as a like a sacramental food, um, comes from the fact that they're giving honor to the mothers. Um, you know, it's representative in like vegetarian food it, it it's very normal for their culture and if if i mean y- people use the idea that ahimsa which is the concept of um loving kindness i think mm-hmm. um in sanskrit they they use that as the def- the defense of modern veganism which it isn't i mean ahimsa in and of itself is practiced to, to different levels depending on the religion that uses it. Like Jainism, they go to the extraordinary length of like wearing cheesecloth over their faces so that they don't accidentally inhale insects. You know, they sweep the ground where they walk or sit so that they don't crush anything that they can't see. Um, you know, Hindus consume milk and, you know, so on. And ahimsa to them is non-cruelty to you know other people, um etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Like it's not and vegans will tend to argue speciesism, which is to say, you know, if you defend human behavior, then you're esteeming humans as above animals. Um
0: the One of the things that I found interesting is that there was uh, – I, I was looking up uh, Hindu holy days to find correlations between um, Yule and Christmas and everything all in that area. One of the arguments that came up with – that I saw with uh, the sacredness of cattle is uh, that they are honoring the spirit of the cow uh, for all that it gives us. I mean, it gives us milk, it gives us beef, it gives us leather, it gives us horn, it gives us sinew, it gives us, you know, collagen for glue, you know, and all this other stuff comes from cattle. All this very useful stuff comes from cattle. It's true. Um, That's why they held them in, in esteem. But yeah, you go to a metropolitan center in India, anywhere, and you go down to the market, you'll see cattle wandering around, you'll see everybody shooing them away from the stuff, except for one day. When the cattle are encouraged to come and eat the crops that are laying right there in very tempting reach of the cattle.
1: You know, It's true.
0: <clears throat> you know, so, okay, 100 million cattle in the United States are now free and all the gates are gone. <laughs> These guys are not scared of people. Have you ever seen a bull go feral? Frightening. I mean, terrifying. You know, But now they're wandering in our streets and eating gardens and crops and things like that. So what do you do with them? Well, it's going to taper off. Less people will eat, and th- then there'll be less demand, and there'll be, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay? Um, here's, here's a fur coat. Well, that's just evil. We need to get rid of it. Okay. Um, so we throw it away, which wastes the lives of the rabbits that sacrifice their life to get the furs to make the fur coat is that reasonable yeah yeah it's totally reasonable we'll throw it away and just get rid so that rabbit died for nothing is what you're saying
1: (laughs) well and the weird thing to me is that like the human species has used the skins of animals for millennia like because we don't grow our own fur well, exactly. I mean, we're at a bit of a disadvantage, you know, species-wise, you know, as far as our ability to hunt or, you know, keep warm, you know. I mean, we we thrive all over the world. Um, I mean, I guess in a vegan paradise, you know, there's this idea that we could all move closer to the equator and live in harmony and, you know, grow food all year and so on. But, you know... Would that work? I mean, most people don't want to live near the equator. Personally, I'd probably bake alive probably. if that happened. Because I grew up here in southern Canada. Um, my idea of of summer is forty, you know, forty degrees, which is about a hundred and well, between 100 and 120 at the worst that I've ever been in summer.
0: Oh, so and forty C. I was yeah, thinking forty F and going Oh my hell no God. <laughs>
1: no, no, no. Forty C. Um, <laughs> and for me, hundred and twenty degrees in some of the semi arid places I've lived are, you know, was like barely tolerable. Um, so my, moving slower... forward.
0: Yeah, my perfect temperature is right at seventy two F. Which would be somewhere right around I guess 28 C.
1: See, that's that's probably a good summer temperature for me. That that's that's rather stuffy for indoors for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, realistically, let's going you no know, go back to this whole thing. Sorry. The <laughs> fact of the matter is humans couldn't really live in, you know, at the equator or near the equator because most of us have for generations existed in parts of the world where air conditioning you know, things are very different, right? Air conditioning probably would be, I don't know, scorned somehow as, I don't know, misusing, I don't know, something. I
0: don't know. I just know that, you know, there's... <laughs> There's a lot to be said for arguments for and against. There's a lot to be said for new versus old. There's a lot to be said for any of the, you, know, the old versus the new and the other way. Um, there's points on all sides, and I can see all sides of the argument, which drives me absolutely crazy because I don't have hands like Collie where but on the other hand, but on the other hand, but on the other hand, but on this other hand. And well, when you think about it, on the other hand, you know,
1: well, and exactly, I mean, and Joy's right. I'm not entirely against the the concept of veganism. I have considered becoming vegan myself, but when I really started seriously thinking through some of the things, they became less and less realistic, Um, knowing, for instance, that veganism came out of, you know, like the upper middle class, you know, 19th century Brits, um, as opposed to an ancient tradition of, you know, whatever origin, helped a lot because, you know, it, it kind of says a lot about who can really afford to eat vegan um, food, because most people couldn't afford to maintain that lifestyle um, and they usually eat some of the stuff they do because they can't afford you know, to go vegan mm. um,
0: and that's one of the same arguments used now against veganism because I mean I'm poor I will state that right now the last paycheck Mary got for two weeks worth of work 86 hours was $350 and out of that, we had to pay every single bill we owe and had nothing left for food after that. Now, you want to tell me that I can live uh, and feed three people on $40 with a vegan lifestyle? can't be done because I've tried. But I can do it with an uh, omnivorous version where there's some meat to expand it and there's some grains to expand it and there's some... Um, pasta and things to and rice and such like that, but if I had to cut out all the all the meat, then I'm going to be eating twice as much as any of that, and that stuff is expensive. I mean <laughs> fresh fruit let's just take apples. fresh apples are 298 a pound, okay? For a pound you can get maybe two apples if you're lucky. and they don't taste that good. Well for two ninety eight, I can get a pound of ground beef that will expand a meal into something that will feed three people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's, true. it's 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 one of those things yes, I realize that the market is skewed and that it's been lopsided to sell beef and sell things like that. But when you look out there, you know people are saying, "Well, eat, you know, eat high tech, eat good food. Don't go to you know fast food places." I can get a meal for three for five dollars from McDonald's, and for five dollars from some place that serves vegan, I can get maybe a square of tofu.
1: It's true. It's true, and it won't even be like well prepared tofu it'll just be a lump of tofu sitting yeah. on your plate
0: yeah and you know I'd love to to be able to to feed and eat on eat well and eat organic uh, on you know fifty dollars a week, seventy dollars a week, a hundred dollars a week but if you look at all the programs that uh, advocate stuff like that, it's not cheap. It's very expensive. It's two to five times as much as eating non-organic, non-pesticides, non-meat. And it, if, when you get an option like that and you've only got X amount of money to last this long, you're not going to be able to feed the people that you love what, you, what they need to eat uh, on the the little amount of money that you have so it's it's one of those cases where i would love to if i could um mary would love to if she could you know i'm sure others would love to cut out the amount of meat in their diets because yes there are problems with meat in diets You know, red meat does stay around. It's been proven over and over again that red meat is bad for you. So, you know, milk is not the best because milk is for cows, not for humans. Uh, Chicken and fish would be better, and that's great, but have you looked at those prices lately? And given that some of the uh, species of fish are going extinct at a huge rate because of the same market factors... You know, it's, they had to, to completely outlaw one type of crab from being harvested by the people up in Alaska because the, that type of crab was almost extinct. They had to, to regulate it for, two, for 20 years so that that particular population of crab could rebound and uh, repopulate its species they just recently started getting them again. I think it's eye, but I wouldn't swear to it. Um, too much deadliest catch. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, so, yes. Selective breeding for more meat, more meat, more meat is going to make cows stupid. I mean, turkey. One of the best meats that you could possibly have is wonderful, was going to be the national bird of the United States. Um, has been bred into stupidity. Uh, A lot of people, you know, will cite the, um, it's raining outside and they're standing out looking up at the sky wondering what the hell's going on with their beaks open and they drown. Um, I've I've heard this more than once, so I don't think it's totally anecdotal uh, without any evidence. But, you know, wild turkeys would never have survived as a species if that's what they, they actually were. Wild turkeys are canny birds. They get away from you. But... With the domesticated, But with the domesticated turkeys, you know, they're that stupid. You got to go herd them in from outside in order to, to keep them alive in a rainstorm.
1: Sorry. That's I'm okay. Kidding. Birds are stupid.
0: Mm, not all of them.
1: Except mm. the ones that are smarter than people. True. Oh,
0: anyway, I don't know. We've gotten on to a real tear. And I'm sure we're going to get lots of feedback on this. This is why we did this controversial piece here, so that you guys would call and email <laughs> us. And
1: we're stirring That's what we were doing. We,
0: we, we're, yeah, we're fucked. We don't really believe any of this. We're just doing it to provoke a response from all of you. Because <laughs> as far as we know, there's only about five people that listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it seems like at times.
1: Um, But yeah, I mean, realistically, I don't know, as a whole, veganism sounds really cool in, in the ideal, but I don't know, unless you're able to grow a garden, it just seems kind of impractical, especially considering the fact that so much of what passes for acceptable, quote, quote, vegan food nowadays comes from so far away. Like it's it's not it's not local. It's a lot of it is shipped from ridiculous distances. Um, like it's, we were talking it's about, packaged, you know, etc. And it's like, well, why does that make it superior? Um, if someone who eats, you know, an omnivorous diet of stuff they've grown themselves, you know, is healthy, why why do they need veganism?
0: And like we said in the previous episode when we were talking about this, same topic, um, you know, there's certain types of food that are vegan, you know, up one side and down the other, seen as the next miracle food, and it's gotten so expensive that the people that grow it and the people that, you know, farmed it for centuries and centuries and centuries can't eat it now. You know, quinoa. Um is you know the example that I think of whenever I think of that. But there's rice,s there's wild rice, there's some beans. Um, there was uh, another hummus was the same thing, but that's chickpeas. You know, and now the indigenous populations who started with them, who showed you know this is a good you know staple of our diet that you know keeps us healthy, and everybody seized to it. And now it's worldwide. They can't afford it now. Because it's gotten so expensive, because it's popular.
1: Yes. Unfortunately, their food has become commodified, and instead of being something they, you know, use for their families, it's become something they are forced, due to the market demand, to ship overseas at, you know, barely enough money to cover a basic diet. Um.
0: Because the money they get for it won't pay for them to get food imported so that they can eat. Exactly. Unless it's super cheap stuff like whole
1: beef. Well, exactly. And, I mean, you've seen it in, in like, South America. Um, There's a lot of farmers who are forced to mass produce for foreign markets who – When their money comes back to them, they can't afford to buy the groceries to feed their families because it's all become, you know, it's all been shipped from outside the country. And, you know, now it's like marked up ridiculously. So where they could feed their whole families, you know, with, you know, what what they they were growing. Now it's like, oh, well, it was nice when we can afford two or three meals a week. But, you know. Now we're lucky to afford as much. Yeah.
0: And you know, even in the same within the same country, because I know uh, Alaska, the prices up there are absolutely flipping ridiculous for staples. Ten dollars for a gallon of milk, I think, is the last I heard. You know, I went down to Kroger not too long ago, and I was able to buy a gallon of milk for two fifty. You know, eggs, uh, ten, $8 a dozen. You know, eggs here are $1. twenty. Nice. You know, so, yeah, you know, there. I'm sorry. <sighs> we need well, to get think, off this tangent.
1: <laughs> I think the reality is um, what we're basically saying is that when you're going to judge someone's diet, you have to consider the, the economic factor of it because in – Alaska, for instance, or in northern Canada, it's not actually practical um, for them to have a varied diet with fresh produce and stuff because it costs so much to ship stuff up there. Um, like, I used to have a roommate who was Dene, which is to say, she was uh, a native of like the Northwest Territories, basically. Um, and one of her staple foods wasn't. You know, a gallon jug of milk. It was it was powdered milk, and she grew up on this stuff. Personally, I find it disgusting, but you know, she grew up on it, so it was all she ever bought. Um, and you know, so you've you have to adapt to the sort of geographical location that you're dealing with. Um, in Alaska, unless you're growing your own food, it's going to cost you a shit ton of money to buy what. You would class as healthy food, um, and
0: so they do things like supplement their diet by going hunting and killing a bear and dragging it back and dressing it out and putting all the bear meat in their freezer, and they're not doing it because they want to or because they want the bear skin, they're doing it because that's you know more convenient than driving 120 miles to get to the grocery store to pick up a couple of 50 pounds of ground beef.
1: It's true. And I mean, realistically, too, like, again, it comes back to the human species, you know, ancient relationship with nature and animals as a source of food. I mean, realistically, people in Alaska hunting for their food are more attuned to the sort of natural rhythms, alignment, rhythms of of humans, you know, of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. They've gone out to the land and they've gotten the food that they're going to eat. Um, and, yes, the the fur coat that their tasty meat was wrapped in can be <laughs> for a carpet or whatever. Um, and that's not wasteful. That's that's simply making use of a resource. Um, yeah, and if I, they decide-
0: I, I'm sorry. I, I find that the, the people that hunt for the trophies, oh, I despise them so very much. I am of, I have always been of the opinion that if you're going to hunt and you're going to kill, use all of it. Not part of it, not a little bit of it, not just the tongue, not just the hide, don't kill off the bison. If you're going to use it, use all of it. And if you can't use all of it, save it, to, because you might be able to use all of it later. You know, um, Lupa is doing a whole thing of tarot cards, with bones of animals that she recovered that other people didn't use and just threw away you know uh, I know of several people in the fur industry who um, use scrap fur that would normally be tossed in the bin uh, for their outfits but they're you know reviled and hated by the vegan population and mostly PETA just as much as if they went out and slaughtered the mink and took the the skin and left the body to rot on the ground. You know, the, the animal's already dead. The animal has already suffered. So why not use all of it in another industry that needs it? You know, sorry.
1: Well, exactly. And I mean, when you really think about it, too, I mean, if you have an animistic or spiritual outlook to life where animals have spirits and souls and that sort of thing, then what better way to give honor to the animals who have died than to make use of their remains. Um, Mm -hmm. that's, I think primarily Lupa's motivation with what she does. Um, but it makes sense to anyone who's following Mm -hmm. like any sort of spiritual path that acknowledges that animals have spirits. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean not to get preachy, but that that's just something that you know realistically if you're going to claim that you believe all animals have spirits, then why wouldn't you live as though they have spirits actually did yeah um
0: one of the things that I always was encouraging and i i think I think the whole vegan movement in general is reactionary to uh the the Rape of Mother Earth. <sighs> the first time I saw The Matrix, the scene where um, the the agent has um, the Morpheus in the chair and they're giving him the drugs and they're trying to break into his head and everything, and Smith is standing there and he's pontificating about humanity. That was such an illuminating moment because the scriptwriter was absolutely right. Humanity is a disease of Earth. We're a virus. We move into an area, we use all the resources, and then when, we, when they're all gone, we move into another area and do the same thing.
1: Well, and I think the comparison's been made in the past by, I want to say it's Oberon Zell-Ravenhart, who compared humans to cancer cells mm-hmm. um, back in the 70s. I mean, the sentiment has, has gone around for decades um, that humans are a parasite, um, humans are a self-destructive species that takes advantage of every other species in order to achieve its own survival. Mm. Um,
0: so I think part of the whole uh, vegan movement is a reaction against that. Unfortunately, the pendulum went too far the other way.
1: Yes, um, it becomes very anti-human, and you know it it borders on the ridiculous in some aspects because it does speak so hatefully of the species that these people are. And you kind of go, okay, well, if you want to help your cause and you really believe in it, just kill yourself and shut the fuck up.
0: Yeah, stop being such a misanthrope, Um, which literally translated means person who hates people. It's true. (laughs) Um, the, the, The goal, I think, for all of us, vegans pagans uh... earth centered uh... people centered everybody should be instead of doing what we want when we want either way of the pendulum it should be coming to a balance we should be responsible we should look at the resources we're using we should take those resources that we need not all of those resources. Leave some for later. You know, it's you don't you don't have to dig every sapphire out of the ground just because they look pretty and you want money. You can leave a bunch of sapphires in there. Who knows? Maybe they'll stu- they'll keep growing. Doubtful, but it's possible. You know, you don't have to go out and, and wholesale hunt buffalo and kill them all just because their tongues are very tasty, tasty meat. You know, leave them for for you know to make further generations stop factory farming cattle you know yeah the conditions they're in are appalling and then they walk them you know hundreds of miles across plains to put them into a uh, pen where they're standing in their own feces and eating grain that's been dumped there for months you know before they're put on a car to be sent to be stunned and then you know throat slit you know yeah that's horrifying you take some You have regional stuff. You don't have, you know, all of it concentrated in one place. You know, you come to a balance with it where it's renewable. Because far too much right now is not renewable. I mean, another post on Tumblr. Let's assume that all of history uh, is actually only one day. And, you know, from the creation of the world to now, it's one day. We have existed on this planet for 46 minutes. The Industrial Revolution was one minute ago. And when you scale it down to that and we've wiped out 50% of the Earth's resources in one minute, that's just... no. There's no way that any species can do that. Exactly. uh, uh, Sorry. (sighs) Okay, so having said all of that... (laughs)
1: It's true, tangents are normal. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, people. It's it's
0: it's late here. This is hour six of the um, show. The of our recording spread.
1: day, no doubt.
0: Yeah, and so we're kind of punch drunk and up on high
1: horses. So
0: we're gonna end it here.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. It has been six hours today, so it probably is a good time for it.
0: Yes, I would. I would like to stop talking now because my throat is raw. <laughs> Anyway, um, MagicalMusings.net, no K, all one word. Uh, joy at brian at net. you can get in touch with us. There are comment pages on every single podcast, every single article that we put up there. Uh, there's contact paid information on the website. Um, if you're listening to this through iTunes, uh, please come to the site. Let us know that you're listening. If you have ideas for, um... Uh, future shows, things you want us to uh, express more on um, and morons, you know, if you want to to call us that, (laughs) please get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Wide-worlds-joy.tumblr.com cosmic-rebirth.tumblr.com is where you can find our personal stuff uh, not related to magical musings. Uh, it's true I have, I have a website erinsjournal.com uh, come to that and take a look around uh, other than that you know we love you we want to hear from you we appreciate if you have a few dollars to throw into the kitty uh, to make this worthwhile we love getting emails I mean I get an email from somebody and I'm bouncing around for days and I'm writing Brian guess what so and so wrote us oh boy they like our show oh wow <laughs>
1: Someone acknowledged our existence We're so proud
0: We're not shouting into a well anymore It's wonderful
1: It's true We get a little verklempt when that happens
0: So yes Get in touch with us And we'll talk to you on another show Uh, Yes Probably many months from when we're recording this one
1: Maybe You never can tell
0: Uh, Anyhow Take care everybody
1: Enjoy yourselves, folks.